0: Well, good morning. I'm John Schmim, a senior pastor here at Centerpoint Fellowship Church. And inside the bulletin that you received that has this title in the front of it, Jesus, Who Is He?, is an outline of where I'm going to be heading this morning with our morning message. It's entitled, Jesus is Lord over Everything. That's this week's installment from a study uh, based on the Gospel of Luke. We are looking at who Jesus is. If you sat down with a friend at a restaurant and... The friend had never grown up in church, in fact didn't know anything about Jesus, and he asked you, Well, Jesus, you pray in his name. Who is he? How would you answer? And so this whole series for the last few weeks and for a number of weeks more, we're going to be talking about answers to that question. And today we want to establish the fact that Luke established very clearly that Jesus is Lord over everything. I'm so glad you're with us today. For some of you folks that are still looking for some seats. We've got some right over here in the middle and uh, if you you can drop down right here and so we'd be glad to have you here Let me have a word of prayer for us and we'll jump right in Heavenly father. I thank you for the opportunity to be here today and to talk about jesus Lord, I just pray that today you'll speak You'll move me out of the way and you'll convince us Who jesus is of who he is and that he is lord lord of all And so father um, I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for luke recording the stories that He recorded in the scripture and I pray that you open our minds to what you want us to hear in the strong name of Jesus, I pray these things. Amen. Well, if you take that outline in your hand, you'll see that there are some fill-in-the-blank items. and We'd love for you to take some notes as well. Some ushers are walking around with some pens. If you raise your hand, they'll be glad to pass a pen to you so you can take some notes and uh, take this home with you. At the top of your outline, it simply gives a definition of how dictionary.com, would defo- how it defines Lord. It says this, that a Lord is a person who has authority or control or power over others. A Lord is a master, a chief, or a ruler. We have different levels of authority in our culture. You have a president, you have a governor, you have a mayor. You even have the coach of a little league team, although there's not a lot of control involved in that. But anyway, uh, (laughs) you get the idea. We have different levels of authority. Here's the interesting thing about Jesus. When you talk about Jesus in the scripture, here's how he is presented. This is from Revelation 19, 16. John, one of Jesus' disciples, had a glimpse of of what it will look like on the day when Jesus returns to earth not as a baby but in his full role as the king of heaven and here's what he saw on Jesus robe on Jesus robe at his thigh was written his title this title King of all kings and Lord of all lords the Bible presents Jesus not as a Lord but the Lord King of all kings a Lord is someone who has authority over his subjects. Well, Jesus says the whole universe is his realm, and he has authority over everything. And this morning, we're going to look at a few verses out of the eighth chapter of Luke's gospel. The gospel means good news. And today, we're going to discover why it's good news that Jesus is the Lord, Lord over everything. Three stories right in a row, back to back to back, where Luke points out how the disciples learned this important fact. So let's jump right in. First of all, in the first story, you'll discover this. Luke wants us to know that Jesus is Lord over nature. When we face a hurricane, when we face a tornado, when we face a hailstorm driving in a car, all of us begin to realize just how small we are on this planet. And we see the fury of a, of a, a storm coming upon us, lightning or wind or torrential rain, scares us to death. And The disciples had to learn that Jesus has authority over nature, that he is Lord. So here's what Luke recorded for us. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, this is from Luke 8, 22 and following. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross the other side of the lake. He was talking about the Sea of Galilee. And so they got into a boat and they started out. As they sailed across, Jesus settled down for a nap. But soon, a fierce storm came down on the lake, and the boat was filling with water, and they were in real danger. The disciples went and woke him up, shouting, Master, Master, we're going to drown. And when Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and the storm stopped and all was calm. And then he asked them, Where is your faith? And the disciples were terrified and amazed. Who is this man? They asked each other. When he gives a command, even the wind and the waves obey him. Well, if you missed our installment at the beginning of the year on Genesis, in the opening pages of the Bible, God is the one who made the universe, everything in it. He made this planet. He made the wind and the waves. And the Bible presents that Jesus is God in the flesh. And some of the disciples are asking, who is this man? Well, he's God. He's the one who created the earth. He knows where the off switch is. And when he's asleep in the boat and they wake him up, I mean, you get the idea he's looking around at them and he goes, stop. And the wind and the waves stop. And they're all amazed, and he stares at them, and he goes, you didn't, you didn't believe I could do that, did you? I mean, that's what the question is. Where's your faith? They had seen Jesus do miracles. They had even told him to his face, Jesus, we believe you're the son of God. And yet when a storm comes, they're terrified, even though Jesus was right there with them. Can you imagine people who, when they face a storm, even though they know that Jesus is right there with them, are still scared out of their minds? (laughs) Oh, wait, that's us. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus is with us, too. And so many times we forget that. And whether it's a physical storm, like a tornado or a hurricane, we can forget all about the presence of the Lord, even in the midst of that storm. And we rely on our senses and what we can handle, and we forget all about the fact that Jesus can give us peace in the middle of a storm. And he just wanted the disciples to trust that. Hey, if I'm with you, it's going to be okay. And he wanted to demonstrate that powerfully to them. So there's a life application for you and me. With Jesus, we don't have to be afraid of anything. It doesn't mean you won't go through storms. I mean, the disciples went through storms with Jesus. But what Jesus wanted them to learn was, when you go through a storm with me, it's going to be okay. Things you can't handle, I can. I'm the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm bigger than any problem you'll face. Now David, you know, the king who uh, came from being a shepherd boy who killed a giant with a sling and a stone, he knew that God could do things he couldn't do. He knew that God had guided that stone right into Goliath's forehead here's what he wrote about it. David said, the Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? Let me read that again. The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? And that's a really good question. John, the disciple who had seen that glimpse of Jesus returning from heaven on a white horse with the armies of heaven behind him with that title written on his thigh he also wrote this he said greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world when you ask Jesus to come into your heart he really comes in he places his holy spirit inside of us and Jesus told the disciples I want you to go make disciples of the whole world and I'll be with you always even to the end of the age so the implication is don't be afraid if you go through storms with Jesus it's going to be okay yet we spend so much of our time worried and afraid and focusing on the storm and the potential danger instead of the one who is with us. And some of you have heard me quote it before, but Mark Twain said that he'd been through some terrible things in his life and some of them actually happened. And sometimes we don't even have to be afraid of a real storm. We can make the whole thing up in our heads and worry what people are thinking about us. And worry about the potential for the danger and sometimes a potential of danger for tomorrow. Sometimes we don't even have any trouble in front of us now, so we've got to go borrow potential future threats. Because there's just not enough to worry about today. And Jesus said to his disciples, Don't you trust me? Don't you know who I am? If I'm in the boat, we're going to be fine. Now let me go back to sleep okay he didn't say that part I added that but anyway um, you get the idea now what's interesting is Luke keeps the story rolling so imagine this is a video we hit pause and now we're hitting play again they just finished the storm and the boat sails on to the other side of the lake that's where they were going and Jesus is the one who said hey let's go to the other side of the lake so this was a trip that he had planned because he wanted his disciples to learn this he wants you and me to learn this too so the boat gets to the other side of the lake And just as it nestles up to the shore, another event happens that proves that Jesus is Lord. And this is point two on your outline. Jesus is Lord over Satan and his demons. The Bible teaches us that in the heavenly realms, there are angels who serve the Lord. They are spiritual beings created by God himself to be his messengers and his servants. They are much stronger than we are. They are spiritual beings, but they are no match for God, the one who created them. Well, one of the angels, the chief among the angels, rebelled against God. His name is Lucifer. We call him Satan or the devil. And some of the other angels joined in with him in a coup to overtake the throne of heaven. And so these spiritual beings, the devil and his angels, are pitted against God since the foundations of the world, they've done all they can to corrupt humankind because they know God has, that we have a special place in God's heart and they want to steal and kill and destroy all the plans that God has for us. Peter said that the devil roams around this world like a roaring lion looking for souls to devour and he has demons to help him. They don't fear God at all. They hate him. They are his adversaries. And the disciples had a first-hand look at the work of the devil as soon as they got to the other side of the lake. So let's hit play again, and the story continues. So they arrived at the region of the Gerasenes across the lake from Galilee. As Jesus was climbing out of the boat, a man who was possessed by demons came out to meet him. For a long time, he had been homeless and naked, living in a cemetery outside the town. As soon as he saw Jesus, he shrieked and he fell down in front of him. And then he screamed, Why are you interfering with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Please, I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had already commanded the evil spirit to come out of him. Now the spirit had often taken control of the man, and even when he was placed under guard and put in chains and shackles, he simply broke them and rushed out into the wilderness completely under the demon's power. Jesus demanded, What is your name? Legion, he replied. For he was filled with many demons, and the demons kept begging Jesus not to send them into the bottomless pit. And here's an observation for all of us here. It appears as a note in your outline. The man that terrified everyone else was terrified of Jesus. Now think if you're one of these disciples. You went through this incredibly scary storm, and Jesus calmed it, and you're still pondering over that. You get to the other side, Jesus is getting out of the boat, and the scariest person you've ever seen is running right at you. There's a cemetery on the side of the hill, and this guy is running pell-mell, naked and screaming. And the disciples are going, let's go back to the other side of the lake, okay? And here's what's funny about it. Jesus, the preacher, steps forward, and the demon-possessed man screams in terror in front of him. Now, if you're one of the disciples, you're going, didn't see that coming, the wind and the waves obey this man. The scariest person you can ever imagine, right out of a horror movie, lives in a cemetery filled with demons, supernatural strength that can break chains, is terrified of Jesus. Now, how does that happen? Well, Jesus explained it in Luke 11. He said, when you bring, for, when you bring, for when a strong man, excuse me, like Satan, is fully armed and he guards his palace, his possessions are safe until someone even stronger, and if you'd circle that, until someone even stronger attacks and overpowers him. Then he strips him of his weapons and he carries off his belongings. The reason the demon-possessed man was scared of Jesus is because he knew who Jesus was. He said so. And he knew that Jesus had authority over him. Satan and the demons, when they rebelled, they forgot that Jesus is the creator and they are only created. And they were no match for him. They begged Jesus not to send them into a bottomless pit. You can write in the margin Revelation 20 if you want to read about that. It's a place reserved for the devil and his angels until they face judgment in hell forever. They begged not to go there. There's a life application for you and me out of all of this. With Jesus, we don't have to be afraid of anyone. When Jesus calmed the storms, it's clear that we don't have to be afraid of anything. When Jesus stares down a legion of angel, a legion of fallen angels, a legion of demons, we realize we don't have to be afraid of anyone. Dear friends, Jesus said, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They can't do any more to you after that. But I'll tell you whom to fear. Fear God who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Yes, he's the one to fear. There is a heaven and there is a hell. And Jesus paid the penalty for our sins on the cross so we can go to heaven and don't have to go to hell. The demons reject him. And they are certain of their judgment that is to come. And they tremble in fear in the presence of the true Lord of all lords. Satan would posture and strut around and have people believe that he is the king of kings, but he's only an imposter. And when the real king showed up, there was no doubt about it. If you're with Jesus, you don't have to be afraid of anyone. If that's good news to you this morning, would you say amen? amen? It's good news to me. If you flip your outline over, the story continues. Hit and play again. Now there happened to be a large herd of pigs feeding on the hillside nearby and the demons begged Jesus to let them enter into the pigs and so Jesus gave them permission the demons came out of the man entered the pigs and the entire herd plunged down the steep hillside into the lake and they drowned well the people watching the pigs went and told people about this and people rushed out to see what had happened a crowd soon gathered around Jesus and they saw the man who'd been freed from demons he was sitting at Jesus feet fully clothed perfectly sane And they were all afraid. And then something sad happens. And all the people in the region of the Gerasenes begged Jesus to go away. If you'd underline that, they begged him to go away. And leave them alone. For a great wave of fear swept over them. So Jesus returned to the boat and left. Crossing back to the other side of the lake. And the story is this. The power of God was evident. No one could argue with it. They all knew of the man who'd been bound with chains. They knew of the scary man living among the tombs, probably howling at the moon, strange voices coming out of him, running around naked, terrifying people. They knew of this man. And when they saw him sitting there, perfectly sane, clothed, calm, they were terrified And that brings us to a life application. Jesus' presence always demands a decision. It always demands a decision. They didn't know who Jesus was, but they didn't want any part of him. Jesus said, do you think I came to smooth things over and to make everything nice? Not so. I've come to disrupt and confront. Jesus came into the world to set things straight. He is Lord of lords. He is king of kings, the master of all things. And there were people who said, I, we, don't, we don't want that. If you read on in the passage from Luke 12 there where Jesus said he came to disrupt and confront, he said, following me will divide families. Sons will be turned against their fathers and daughters against their mothers and whole households will be split over allegiance to Jesus. It was true when Jesus walked the face of the earth. It's still true today. And you go, John, how could a story like this have any relevance today? I tell you, I have been with people who have been facing an addiction. They've gone through a Christian treatment program. They've surrendered their life to the Lord. Before they went in, they were out of control. They were obsessed with the addiction. They were violent and angry and horrible. Out of their minds. Yet they go through a treatment program. They surrender their life to Christ. and They come home to their family And some of the family rejoices and some of them, hey, keep that Christian stuff. Hey, don't want any of that. Glad you kicked the habit, but don't push that Jesus stuff on me. Go away. Leave me alone. Even though you can see his life has changed. The thing that had complete control of him is gone. He's clothed. He's in his right mind. There's peace. I don't want that. It happens today. Jesus forces a decision. You know, these people could have decided what was decided in some other places where Jesus went. When he would cast out demons, people would bring blind people and sick people and Jesus would heal them. The people in the garrisons could have done that. I mean, they knew a miracle had happened. They knew about the crazy man. They saw the pigs washing up on the shore. And they wanted the status quo rather than whatever this guy was bringing In Luke 11, Jesus said, This is a war. There is no neutral ground. If you're on my side, if you're not on my side, then you're the enemy. If you're not helping, you're only making things worse. And Jesus came so that people have to make a decision about him. We cannot be neutral about Christ. Now, what's crazy is if you think about this, Jesus left, he honored their request. But they wanted the status quo. I mean, there'd been a guy running around naked, breaking chains, screaming in the cemetery. What did that do for property values? Oh, yeah, it's a great hillside. Hey, what's that howling? Oh, there's a scary man filled with demons who comes out every night. You want to see? I mean, who's moving in there? And you go, why would anybody turn that down? Because following Jesus had already impacted them economically, and they weren't sure what else it was going to bring. If this is going to cost me something, I'm out. I'd rather have the status quo than follow Jesus. And so to be someone who trusts in the Lord, is just to be a person who who says, I'll trust the Lord because he's stronger than any storm in my life. He's stronger than any enemy I might face. I want to follow him. I mean if a person is a Christian you follow Jesus as your savior and your lord someone I want to rescue me Now the man who'd been rescued from the demons he went back home and told his friends The other people said get out of here And what's really funny is is the people who the beings that were completely convinced that Jesus was the son of God were the demons I've said this before, and I'll remind you again and again of this. The devil is not an atheist. He believes in Jesus. The demons believe, and James tells us, they tremble in terror, just like they did in this story. So don't think that the opposite of faith in Christ is atheism. The opposite of faith in Christ is what the Gerasenes did. It's rebellion. Go away. Atheism is just a diversion and a denial. That's not the opposite. The opposite is rebellion and rejection of who he is. Well, the story continues again. So you get in the storm. Jesus calms the storm. Guys, don't be afraid of anything. To get to the other side, the demon-possessed scary man comes running right at him and falls at the feet of Jesus. Demons go out, run into the pigs. The people tell him to get in the boat and go home. Guys, you don't have to be afraid of anyone. Trust me. So they sail back across the lake, and there's a crowd waiting for them on the other side. And here's the next installment, point three, Jesus is Lord over sickness and death. Over sickness and death. I'm just going to read this account straight through because it's kind of involved, and um, I want you to hear it as Luke wrote it. Then a man named Jairus, the leader of a local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet. The synagogue, by the way, was a Jewish community center. You had the temple in Jerusalem, but you didn't go there every week, just once a year with your family or or at set times for festivals. You would have weekly um, schools and worship services and teaching at the community center. It would be like a, a local church. But a man named Jairus, who was the leader of a local synagogue, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come home with him. His only daughter, who was 12 years old, was dying. And as Jesus went with him... He was surrounded by the crowds. Now a woman in the crowd who'd suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding was there also, and she could find no cure. So coming up behind Jesus, she touched the fringe of his robe, and immediately the bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. Everyone denied it, and Peter said, Master, the whole crowd is pressing up against you. But Jesus said, someone deliberately touched me, for I felt healing power go out from me. And when the woman realized That she could not stay hidden, she began to tremble and fell to her knees before him. Now the whole crowd heard her explain why she had touched him and that she'd been immediately healed. Daughter, he said to her, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. While he was still speaking to her, a messenger arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. He told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But when Jesus heard what had happened, he said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just have faith and she'll be, she will be healed. If you could circle those words, don't be afraid, just have faith. We'll get back to them in a minute. Now when they arrived at Jairus' house, the house was filled with people weeping and wailing, but Jesus said, stop the weeping. She isn't dead, she's only asleep. But the crowd laughed at him, because they all knew she had died. And then Jesus took her by the hand, and said in a loud voice, my child, get up. And at that moment, her life returned, and she immediately stood up. And then Jesus told her to give them something to eat. There's a life application in this story too. Faith is the opposite of fear and worry. Now I want you to understand two more dimensions of faith that are represented in this story. The woman who'd been bleeding for 12 years caught up with Jesus as he was heading to Jairus' house. Jairus would have been waiting on the shore. He had heard that Jesus was coming. Someone had spotted his boat. And so Jairus ran down there. His daughter is on the verge of death. Jesus is his last and only hope. And so he will have fought his way to the edge of the shore. And Jesus gets out of the boat, and Jairus is there. You've got to come quickly. My 12 year old daughter is dying. And Jesus said, Okay, I'll, I'll, I'll come, Jairus. I'm coming. And so they're winding their way through a crowd. You can imagine Jairus is going, please make way. My daughter is dying. He's coming to heal my daughter. Please make way. Please make way. And they're working their way through the crowd. And he's just hoping he can get there on time before she dies, before it's too late. And then all of a sudden, there's a woman who sneaks up behind Jesus and touches him. And Jesus stops. Who touched me? And Peter goes, Jesus, everybody's touching you. This is a mob. And Jesus goes, no, Peter. Healing power went out from me. There's someone here who touched me. And he goes around, as he turns around, you can see the crowd part, and there's a woman kneeling, and she's probably sobbing with joy. She goes, I touched you. I've been bleeding for 12 years, and you and I don't understand this, but according to Old Testament law, she would have been ceremonially unclean. She wouldn't have been able to go into a synagogue or a house of worship at all. And if her family members even touched her or sat on a chair that she sat on, they wouldn't have been able to go. She would likely spent every dollar that she had looking for a cure, and no one could heal her. And so she would be penniless and outcast with no hope. And Jesus was a righteous teacher, and that's why she snuck up behind him, because if he would have known that she was unclean, then he probably, she was probably afraid he wouldn't help her. But she thought, if I just touch him, he won't even have to know. But I know God is with him. But Jesus turns around and said, who touched me? And he had her explain. He had her explain to strengthen her faith and to let everyone know around her that she had indeed been healed and she was now clean and she could be restored. And one dimension of faith is if God does a miracle in your life, you better be ready. He may well call on you to stand up and be counted. For your sake as well as the sake of the friends around you. It was an important step in her life. But now imagine Jairus. This whole thing is a nightmare now. He finally got to Jesus. They're on the way to his house. His daughter is on the edge of death. And Jesus stops to help this woman. She's been bleeding for 12 years. Will it matter if it's 12 years and 15 more minutes? Why are you stopping? And while he's there waiting on this, and this woman is here being cured, and Jesus is taking time to do this, His worst nightmare is realized a friend comes up, Jairus, don't bother him anymore, your daughter died. And Jesus turns around and goes, don't you give up. Trust me. Trust me. And Jairus goes, okay. And they go to his house, and Jesus raises the little girl back to life. Did you know if you trust Jesus... If you're praying for a miracle, whether it's a healing or whether it's a changed life in any way, you may well have to wait on God's timing. He may not do things in your time or in your order, and he asks you to trust him anyway. I mean, faith equals trust. When I had you write in that blank that faith is the opposite of fear and worry, right right next to it or right under the line, write the word trust. Do you trust him? The woman trusted, and that's why she was healed. And he said, because you trusted me, you are now clean. Stand up and be counted. Jairus, I know you've had to wait, but trust me, it's not over till I say it's over. I'm the king of kings and the Lord of lords. I'm stronger even than death. And Jesus proved that ultimately when he rose from the grave. Hebrews 11:6. the writer of Hebrews 11, verse 1 and 6, I've combined them here, The writer of Hebrews says this, Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. He gives us assurance about things we cannot see. And it's impossible to please God without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. Faith is trust, and it's the opposite of fear and worry. The Apostle Paul said, I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love, neither death or life, neither angels or demons, neither our fears for today or worries about tomorrow. Not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. And Jesus demonstrated all of this. There's no power in the sky above, whether it's the wind and the waves or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all of creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that's revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. The only question is, will you and I actually believe that? And will we stand up and be counted when God answers our prayers? And will we wait on God even if he doesn't do it in our timing or the way we think it should have been done? We trust that the Lord is Lord over nature. He's Lord over demons. He's Lord over sickness and death. And we have to really ask ourselves this because if we get caught up in our circumstances, we get all confused. If you're on the left-hand side of a row, I'd ask you to reach down beneath your chair where that offering basket was. There should be a small stack of cards. They're kind of green and white. They're fold-over business cards. And if you take one and then. Pass the stack on to the people next to you. I'll explain to you what this is. This is a little tool that we have developed, and our ushers have some more. If um, somehow you don't get one, we've got a pretty packed house. If you don't get one, you can pick one up on your way out. This is a little tool, it's just a reminder of truth. There are some verses in Scripture here to meditate on when we are worried or afraid. When I was a kid and I was scared to sleep in my room at night because I was convinced there was a monster in my closet. My dad or my mom could go up the stairs and shine a light into the closet, a flashlight, and show me there were no monsters there. And now I could go to sleep. I mean, the truth was obvious. And I'd say, well, thank you. Could you leave the flashlight in case he comes back? Okay, or something like that, you know. But if you, if you can prove to a little child, hey, there's no monsters here, you can sleep now. Okay, they can go to sleep. Well, sometimes we need the same sort of thing. and So think of this like a flashlight in the closet. This is just truth. When the storms of life come at us, when the devil tempts us to be afraid, when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death because somebody we love has just died or we're facing illness or death ourselves, it's easy to get worried and afraid. And, and the devil can confuse us so we feel like God's not in control of anything. And here are a couple of verses. Let me just read them to you and you'll see how this works. When I am worried or afraid, I need to read this. The Lord is my light and my salvation, so why should I be afraid? The Lord is my fortress, protecting me from danger, so why should I tremble? God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all that he has done. And then you'll experience God's peace, which exceeds anything we can understand. His peace will guard your hearts and your minds as you live in Christ Jesus. Here on earth you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. Your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Sink the kingdom of God above all else, and he'll give you everything you need. So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your Father great happiness to give you the kingdom. This is truth. The next time you are tempted to be fearful and afraid because of a storm, because of sickness or death, because of the attacks of the evil one, Keep this in your pocket. Keep it in your purse. Keep it in your wallet. And pull it out and meditate on this. This is truth. It's all true. Why should I worry? Why should I be afraid? The Lord is with me. Guys, why were you worried about the storm? I was in the boat. I was right there beside you. Do you not have faith? Lord, that scary guy just fell at your feet. Well, yeah, I'm Lord over the demons. Don't bother the master now. She's already dead. Jairus, don't you give up. Trust in me and believe. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. This is all good news, and it's all true. True. If you focus on the truth, then you won't be focused on the storms, and you won't be focused on the sickness or the disease or the death. You won't be focused on the devil and his schemes. That's why we read the Bible every day, and this is just a tool to help you when you're really feeling afraid, so keep it with you. I want to address one last thing. As we've gone through this outline, many of you have already thought, well, I'm going to shoot John an email because there's one question he hasn't answered yet. If Jesus is really the Lord over... Nature and He's Lord over the devil and his demons, and He's Lord over sickness and death. Why doesn't He just pick a day and end all this stuff? Get rid of all the sickness and death, get rid of all the demons, get rid of all the natural disasters. Why doesn't He create a place like that? Well, He has, and it's called heaven. And He's made a way for you and me to go there, and there will be a day when He will destroy this world, and none of that will remain anymore. And that's called the end of the world. And before we die, and before that day comes, Jesus asked us to come to him by faith, the same way the Gerasene people could have come to him by faith. And the question before us is the same question that was before them, do you want Jesus or not? And they said, no, go away. And Jesus comes to call us to decision. There will come a day. When everything will be set right. But while we live in this world this day, Jesus wants to come to Him by faith. There's enough evidence that we need a Savior. There are promises. I could line up thousands of people who would tell you this. You can go online and just start Googling, and you'll find people who trust in these promises every day. But the decision is up to you and me. Will I trust Him? Will I follow him or will I allow my fears and my worries to be my Lord? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this day and I thank you that we have your scripture to guide us. It is our guide in all matters of faith and practice. It is our guide in overcoming fear itself. Father, I thank you that you are stronger than the devil and his minions. I thank you that you are stronger than any storm that can be conjured up in this world. Lord, I thank you that you are stronger than disease and death itself. Because through a relationship with you, Lord, even if we die, we go home to live in a place where there's no more sickness and death and brand new bodies that will never die again. Lord, I thank you for Jesus who paid the penalty for my sins on the cross. I thank you for Jesus who proved to the disciples that he was trustworthy and true. I thank you, Lord, that the demons themselves acknowledged your lordship. Lord I don't want to be outdone by a demon you are my Lord and God I pray that we will surrender every part of our lives to you if you are Lord of the wind and the waves I want you to be Lord of my checkbook I want you to be Lord of my tongue I want you to be Lord of my temper I want you to be Lord of my relationships And God, I look forward to the day when I'm in heaven with you and Jairus will be there and his daughter will be there and the woman who was healed will be there and the disciples will be there and they'll tell us all about the scary man in the tombs and he'll be there along with the people who came to Christ because of what he said. God, until that day, I want to trust in you. I pray for someone who's come here this morning who's been absolutely bound up in worry and fear. And I pray that this morning you would set them free. If you've come here this morning and you've been a captive to worry and fear, surrender to Jesus and say, oh God, set me free. Help me to trust in you. I thank you for your promises, Lord. I thank you for your abiding presence. I thank you for brothers and sisters in Christ who can encourage me and walk alongside me. And Father, I pray that each and every day I'll surrender a little bit more of my life to you. In the name of Jesus, whose title is King of Kings and Lord of all Lords, I pray these things.